1: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You had to act like a sink a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh Mom stuff. Uh huh. (laughs) Disciplining you in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ioniq 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible week. We are also live on AMP. So if you're listening on YouTube or on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are continuing our player rankings today with number 12 and number 11 before we go 10 through 1 over the course of the next two weeks. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason, and you miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish. Don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. And last but not least, you guys have heard me talk about GameTime, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. Obviously, it's a slow time for sports, although uh, baseball fans out there know that it's increasingly hard to find your favorite team on television. So going to Game Time is actually one of the best ways to see Major League Baseball these days. However, it is concert season, and a lot of people are going around the country performing for big crowds, a lot of our favorite musicians, but also some of our favorite comedians. comedians. Comedians, and GameTime is a great place to find last-minute deals on tickets to all of those things. They've taken great care of me in the past. It's a super smooth user experience. You're going to get a great view of what your seat's going to look like. You're going to get a great deal, and it's going to go smoothly from start to finish. I highly recommend it to you guys. So no matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the GameTime app, enter your email, and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Again, enter your email. And the code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S, for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. Starting with number 12, Devin Booker. Finished the season averaging 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists per game. 60% true shooting. And then went up an obscene level from there in the playoffs. 34 points. Five rebounds and seven assists on 69% true shooting. Through two rounds. Had one of the craziest pull up jump shooting hot streaks I've ever seen in my time watching basketball. In back to back home games, home wins against the Denver Nuggets, he was 19 for 25 on pull up jump shots, including six for 10 from three. Oh, and in the paint, he was 16 for 21 in those two games, meaning he averaged eight makes per game in the paint to go with the outrageous pull-up jump shooting. He did cool off in games five and six, shot just thir- uh, just 12 for 32 from the field as they lost those last two games. Kind of got their butts kicked, too. Uh, average margin of victory for Denver in those last two games was 21 points. It's the weirdest thing about that series. Like Phoenix was both the only team that got two wins off of the Denver Nuggets, and the team that got their ass kicked the most, because outside of those two wins, they just got pretty much dominated. So it was kind of a strange playoff run from that perspective. But so I want to zoom out before we zoom back in on Devin Booker. To me, I told you guys kind of coming in that there were tears. And to me, everybody from roughly about number 13 all the way to number... 39, call it, with the the 14 guys that I had that were kind of honorable mention. Those are all really close. Um, the guys I have listed, I've listed based on who I think is better for sure. But there's small gaps between all of those guys. But from here on, from number 12 on, starting with Devin Booker, I believe these are the superstars in the NBA. I view this as a very exclusive club that includes a top-tier regular season performance for a team, as well as a top-tier playoff performance for a team. I think there's only 12 of these guys in the entire NBA. But I thought Devin Booker this year cracked into that group. And I want to zoom in and exactly why so that you guys can see because I do think there are some specific check marks that I look at for that superstar tier. And I think Devin Booker has officially hit those. Oh, and by the way, through my one through 12, I do have those split into two tiers as well. So like one one through three for me is like my top tier superstars. These are the guys that I think are just a small level above the rest of the superstars. And then from four to 12, it's all very close. And you can actually make a case for any one of the guys from four to 12 to be above any of the other guys. And totally would respect and understand if any of you guys disagreed with the order that I had in this stretch. But <clears throat> as I look kind of below Booker, I see a little bit of a drop off. Like, Shea just Alexander is insane. Uh, But he needs to build a playoff resume. He literally has not played a playoff game as the number one option on his team. So I can't call him a superstar, right? Damian Lillard has only won two playoff games in the last four years and has missed the playoffs a couple of times. So like, that's it's hard for me to put him in that group until he kind of gets back to the point where he's playing meaningful basketball. And then Anthony Edwards, who I had at 15, is just 21 years old and has only played in 11 playoff games himself and has never gotten out of the first round. So like as we go up from Dame SGA and Ant, there's this clear elevation in, in, in regular season dominance and playoff dominance within the recent years. And so that's where I have that delineation there at number 12 with Devin Booker. He was one of only nine players in the regular season last year to average 27, 4, and 5. At least 27 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 assists. Only nine guys. Uh, Devin Booker has now played in 43 career playoff games, all in the last three seasons. And in those 43 playoff games, he's averaged 28 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists on 60% true shooting. That's a ridiculous resume for a 26-year-old shooting guard. So in my opinion, as you kind of zoom out on this three-year stretch... In the regular season, for three years now, he's 27-5-5 five and five on 59% true shooting. And in the playoffs, he's 28-5-5 five and five on 60% true shooting. So he actually has consistent regular season dominance, and he goes up a little bit of a level in the playoffs. So the last box there for be, being considered a legitimate superstar is, can he be the best player on a title team? And in my opinion, the answer is absolutely yes. Because let's not forget that three years ago, A lesser version of Devin Booker was the very best player on a team that came two wins away from an NBA championship. You can talk all you want about that being the season after COVID and, and, and all the weird factors that were at play there. But you guys know how I feel about that kind of stuff. Everybody's dealing with the same circumstances. A win is a win is a win. I do not believe in diminishing playoff success regardless of the circumstances I feel the same way about the bubble the year before that I feel the same way about the lockout year I just don't care like to me everyone's got the same circumstances a win is a win is a win and the bottom line is is it was two really close games too um that kind of swung the outcome of that series the Suns were this close and that was a lesser version of Devin Booker so I absolutely think Devin Booker can be the best player on a legitimate championship team. And I mean, on that team, his second-best player is Chris Paul, and his third-best player is DeAndre Ayton, or maybe Mikhail Bridges, depending on who you ask. So I didn't actually think he had some sort of super team either. I think that you can easily, relatively easily, build a championship-quality roster around Devin Booker. And I, I actually have Kevin Durant above Devin Booker on the list this year, but we'll see how it plays out. Devin Booker has a chance over the course of the season to demonstrate that he's a better player and like I said the gap between 4 and 12 is really non-existent in this group and all those guys can be jumbled around in a bunch of different ways but as we look at that superstar list I think he's clearly at the bottom of that list but I think he's clearly on the list consistent regular season dominance consistent playoff dominance even going up a level a clear pattern of winning basketball games for your team and you get to be in the club if you do those things that's just the way that I view it. Uh, Devin Booker has turned himself from a pure scorer into a really versatile offensive engine. The Suns scored 1.05 points per uh, possession in pick and roll with Devin Booker this year. That was 74th percentile. He's actually become a very good passer out of pick and roll over the course of the season. That was one of the biggest things that stood out to me every time I watched the Suns this year was just how gifted he was at making the right play as he was coming off of ball screens. He was down in ISO situations in the regular season, down to 0.87 points per possession, kind of just fluky, missing a lot of shots. But he was great in the post, 1.1 points per possession, which was in the 69th percentile. His shot-making was ridiculous, 47% on catch-and-shoot jumpers, 43% on pull-up jumpers, and he made 4.9 pull-up jumpers per game, which was second in the entire league against you guessed it, Kevin Durant in first place. He was 49% on runners and a really, really good mark of 68% in the restricted area, which for a two guard is really, really good. Although somewhat low volume, only 2.6 makes per game, which is in the middle of the pack for starting guards around the league. That's kind of like one of the biggest weaknesses, in my opinion, in Phoenix's roster is they've got tons and tons of offensive skill, but they don't generate a lot of rim pressure. As a matter of fact, between Beal, KD, and Booker all combined last year. I think they were right around like eight restricted area makes per game. That's, I mean, I think, uh, I I think the, the top tier guys in the league are averaging that by themselves. So they're not getting a ton of rim pressure from those guys. And that's going to be the interesting thing to look at with that team. But as we've seen with teams like Denver, if you're really good at everything else, you can win anyway. And so that will be the challenge for Phoenix this year. uh, These are Devin Booker's ridiculous uh, shooting percentages during this year's playoff run. 63% on catch-and-shoot jumpers, 51% on pull-up jumpers, 58% on floaters, and 71% at the rim. Legitimately one of the most accurate shot-making playoff runs I have ever seen in my time covering the NBA, albeit only in two rounds. Uh, One of the key things, in my opinion, that has helped Devin Booker reach the superstar level, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, especially when we were talking about um, Jamal Murray, or two days ago with Jamal Murray, he's actually committed to the defensive end. And I think uh, I think the 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 tool that Devin Booker used to kind of reach this level is his competitiveness. Evan Booker is a freaky competitor. He talks a lot of shit. He takes this stuff super personally, and I think that's kind of a a need when it comes to winning basketball games at the highest level, and he has channeled that into just working and committing on the defensive end of the floor. Now, he's not the quickest player or the most athletic player in the league, and he doesn't have great size, so even at that level of commitment, he's just become more of like an average defensive player at his position, but again, so many of these stars, they're giving you a lot on one end and taking away on the other end and it demands Diminishes their overall winning impact by becoming average on the defensive end, Devin Booker has made it so that his offensive impact can shine through as a basket for the basketball team. And not to mention it sets an example when your stars are willing to commit. That works its way down the roster, and then other people defend. It also uh, it also just flat out helps you win games to have another player on the floor that's at least average defensively at his position. He's become a very well-rounded player. He's a bona fide top tier three-level scorer, a very good playmaker, and an average defensive player at his position. To me, that puts him in the superstar tier. we got 12 of them in the league. He's at the bottom of that list, but he's on the list, and that's a very big deal in my opinion. Moving on. To number eleven, Kawhi Leonard. This is a player who, at his peak, I genuinely believe is a top five player in this league. He's going to be. I won't reveal it right now for the sake of the suspense. But uh, I would either if he was if I was just looking at healthy peaks, I'd have him at either four or five in 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 this current uh, field of superstars. I thought he demonstrated that pretty profoundly in the two playoff games he played this year before he got hurt. He's down at 11 because of health issues. End of story. Looking at his last three seasons, he looked great in a playoff run and then got hurt in the middle of a series, missed a a season entirely, and then looked great in a playoff run before getting hurt in the middle of a series. So it doesn't really matter how good you are if you're never able to actually complete a playoff run, which is why I have him down at number 11. But at his best, he is so clearly better than just about everybody in the league that I have to have him up at 11. I still think that there's all – let's just put it simply – There is a chance, a non-zero chance, probably a pretty decent chance, not a great chance, but a decent chance that Kawhi can finish the season this year. If he does, he's a top-five player. That flips all of the math and all of the the way that we have to project this NBA season. So in my opinion, if we're factoring that in, you're a superstar, so I still have Kawhi Leonard at the superstar level. This year he played in 52 games. A scoring volume was way down, 24 points per game, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, but super efficient, 62% true shooting, off the, sh- uh, off the charts creation season, 1.14 points per possession in pick and roll, which is insane. That's 92nd per- uh, percentile, although somewhat low volume, only 445 possessions. 1.08 points per possession in ISO. Do you guys remember that list I had of the 25 players that I considered high-volume ISO players running at least 250? Kawhi came in on 8th at that list, uh, at 8th with that list, at 1.08 points points per possession, and then he was 1.12 points per possession in the post. There were 31 players in the NBA this year that ran at least 150 post-ups. Kawhi came in at 7th on that list with 1.12 points per possession, so still super, super versatile with his shot creation. He's uh, um, As we kind of zoom out from there, 62% true shooting, Obviously low volume compared to his peers, but in terms of actual shot-making efficiency, some top-tier stuff from Kawhi this season. And then he had two incredibly dominant playoff games, 35 points, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists on 67% true shooting, which, by the way, in the 2021 playoff run before he got hurt – He was at 68% true shooting on 33 points per game for 11 games. So he's only played 13 playoff games in the last three seasons because of his injuries. But in those 13 playoff games, he's been off the charts good. And that's, again, why I keep talking about how I view his ceiling so high. But obviously, we've talked enough about his injuries to this point. So I want to kind of focus on why Kawhi is such a dominant playoff player compared to his peers. Because again, as we look at that, you know, averaging what's that over two years, somewhere between 30 and 35 points per game, probably closer to 31, 32, right? Because of the small volume this year, but like 32-ish points per game on 67.5% true shooting, that's like way better than everybody. That's like Steph Curry stuff, right? That puts you in the very top tier in terms of offensive production, right? And We know that that's not fluky because we've seen Kawhi do it as a finals MVP and in long playoff stretches before that. So what is it about Kawhi Leonard that makes him so freaking good in the NBA playoffs? I put it down to four things. First of all, he has no shot-making weaknesses. 48% on catch-and-shoot jumpers this year, 50% on pull-up jumpers, 46% on floaters, 60% on hooks out of the post, and 65% at the rim. Those are all off-the-charts good percentages. If he gets to his spot, he's got a really good chance – of making it. Secondly, he's one of the strongest players in the league at his position. We talked about this a lot with Anthony Edwards yesterday. It's about the concept of getting to your spots. When you are physically strong, especially when you have a low center of gravity, meaning you have strength in your legs, that makes it so that when you fight for position anywhere on the basketball court, whether that's setting your man up for a screen, whether that's ducking into the post, general. Uh, calling for post position just for an ISO if you're 15, 16 feet away from the basket. Whether that's dealing with hand checking in ISOs, dealing with hand checking in pick and roll, putting your defender in jail in pick and roll, dislodging your defender when you're posting up uh, on those back down dribbles. Every single one of those things becomes infinitely easier when you have a strength advantage, particularly with a low center of gravity. And so in my opinion, that's what gives Kawhi the ability to get easy shots so frequently he's so good at getting to his spot now again we talked about this a little bit with the the strong guys yesterday there are guys that are more skilled than the big strong guys in the league and Kawhi has great touch for the record like he's got better touch than the Anthony Edwards and LeBron James comps that I used yesterday but he probably has less touch than the top tier guys right in terms of uh, scoring right like he doesn't have the same touch as Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, you know, those guys all probably have a little bit better touch than Kawhi Leonard does in a vacuum. But the difference is, is Kawhi's always getting great looks, like fantastic looks. And so he hits them at an insanely high percentage. And to me, that comes down to that strength. The comp that I use, and we talked about this actually when we did our player rankings last year, but I'll do it again here. I look at Kawhi's uh, fadeaway jumper as the perfect example of this. The vast majority of guys who shoot fadeaway jumpers do it with their athleticism. Like, even as we go back to Kobe and MJ, like they do a shoulder bump, but most of their separation that they're getting on those fadeaway jumpers is just outrageous athleticism. Like, Michael Jordan could do a drop step into a pivot fadeaway over his left shoulder and make it look so outrageously quick that the defender just didn't have a chance to get there. And so he's getting a good look every time. Kawhi does it 100% with strength, and I think that's kind of one of his calling cards and what allows him to be so efficient shooting over both shoulders out of the post. He doesn't hit that shoulder and then fade. He hits you hard with that shoulder and almost goes straight up and down. Go onto uh, YouTube and just look up Kawhi Leonard highlights from any one of his big scoring games, and just pay close attention to his turnaround fadeaways over both shoulders out of the post. He is not fading a dramatic amount. He is getting into your body with physicality and rising up for largely pretty straight up and down jump shots. And that's the difference. Because guys like MJ would shoot 50% on post fadeaways with ridiculous fading athleticism. Kawhi is shooting ridiculous percentages on post fadeaways by going straight up and down. So again, th- he buys himself leeway with his touch just by virtue of him having such a ridiculous strong base and the footwork to get to his spots on any spot on the floor. So one, his, uh, his ridiculous shot making. Two, his strength compared to his peers. Third, he can impact the game at a very high level defensively. That always is a huge part of playoff winning impact. And then lastly, Kawhi Leonard has worked really hard to become an uh, a, to become an above-average playmaker. He used to be flat-out bad at it. Kawhi averaged 2.3 assists per game in San Antonio. He logged an eight-assist game just once in his entire time there. It was a playoff game against the Houston Rockets in 2017. He's done it 21 times since joining the Clippers and has averaged five assists per game during his time in a Clippers jersey, which is perfectly fine. That's like right around where his peers are, right? Like most of the big scoring wings in the league are somewhere between four and a half and five and a half assists per game. Like that, that's just, that's just what those guys average. So Kawhi legitimately went from being a guy who was bad at passing the basketball and not good at setting up shots for his teammates to perfectly fine at it he took a one of his biggest flaws and turned it into something that no longer hurts his game this season he was over a point per possession in every single type of pass out of pick and roll out of iso and in post-up situations he also handled traps well 1.29 points per possession when he was trapped in pick and roll um and that happened almost once a game to him this year and then he handled doubles out of the post super well 1.1 points per possession passing out of doubles in the post so like Obviously, like I, it's Kawhi is is a super interesting example of of a of an archetype of player that is more of a late bloomer, right? And we this is what makes Jabari Smith Jr. so exciting is like you're looking at these guys that come out of college and they have like maybe one thing that stands out as a skill. Like I remember early on, Kawhi Leonard showed some flashes of shooting ability. Jabari Smith Jr. was actually a really good shooter at Auburn. But like, there was a lot of raw stuff outside of that. Like, mostly a defensive player. So was Kawhi. You know, not couldn't put the ball on the floor. Neither could Kawhi. Like those guys struggled in a lot of those areas. And then there's like two phases to their development when they get into the league. It's like the learning the skill piece, like just relentless reps in the gym by yourself with the trainer, going working on your pull up jump shot, working on your ball handling, working on all these different dribble combinations and footwork, right? But then there's the on court reps part of it. And when it comes to making reads and becoming a decent passer, you just need a shit ton of five on five reps against NBA level competition. And so that's why when I look at guys like Kawhi, like to go from 2.3 assists per game for his entire San Antonio career, which by the way, he was consistently in MVP conversations, won multiple defensive players of the year, uh, if I remember correctly. And, um, also was uh, uh, literally one of Finals MVP, multiple long playoff runs, just was a dominant player in that run, and was a bad passer. And he's taken that and turned it into something that actually helps his game a good amount now with the Clippers. I think that's a, a testament to his work ethic and a good example looking forward when we look at really competitive, really hardworking young forwards that have a lot of raw potential. And that's what I'm looking for with Jabari Smith Jr. in the future. But Kawhi Leonard, again, bona fide top five player in the league when he's healthy. And um, uh, he's a bona fide top five uh, player in the league when he's healthy. And obviously, we have to factor in his health in this list, which is why I have him down at 11 but all I'm hoping is that we get to see Kawhi finish the season healthy this year because I think the league is better when he's playing because I think he's a lot of fun to watch. And I think he's a really good example for young basketball players on the things that they can work on to become better in every situation on the court. You guys, know, um, that's all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys. We have uh, number 10 coming on Monday. And we'll go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Monday through Friday next week. And then 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, on monday through friday the following week as always i appreciate you guys and i hope you have a great weekend and i'll see you on monday
0: Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait!
1: Did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks.